0: Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So Ryan and I did a fun episode a couple weeks ago where we talked about historical figures we'd want to meet. Um, Historical figures meaning the ones that are no longer alive. Because you can still be historical if you're alive, probably, huh? I think so, but... (laughs) but not in this episode. <laughs> in this episode, you have to be done. So after we did that episode, we were really curious to know who you would have picked. So I'm going to put you on the spot today and maybe if we have some time left over, I'll, I'll try to think of a few more for me. So Connor, I want you to talk about a few people you would meet, but I also want you to tell us why and what you would want to talk to them about. And maybe if you want, you would go get a burger with them. Maybe it's something silly. I don't know, but I, I'm so curious them? to know who you would have picked. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you tell us.
1: This is a fun topic. I Gosh, there's so many people. Uh, let me think through kind of, okay, top of mind, uh, first people that come to mind. One is my homeboy, Frederick Bastiat. Uh, I, we talk about him a lot. We quote him a lot. Uh, he, When Elijah and I did our first Tuttle Twins book, we had no idea if other people would buy the books. We didn't know if it would succeed. And so we thought, hey, if we just do one book and then we stop, uh, what book should we do? And we both decided to do The Law by Frederick Bastiat, little, and it's more of an essay than a, it's like a booklet. And because it was so powerful for Elijah and I, when we were learning about freedom, when we were. Uh, oh, for a community. lot of us.
0: yeah, For a lot of us. It's a big us. thing, yeah. Oh, totally.
1: very, very popular essay. And so Frederick Bastiat, I've, I've since read a lot of his other writings. And uh, so he grew up in the mid 1800s in France. He was a, a politician. Uh, he was in the, the assembly, the legislature, kind of their Congress. And at the time in France, and frankly, still today in France and many other countries, uh, you know, parliament was full of protectionists. And so if you remember from your food truck fiasco book, kids, uh, protectionism uh, protectionism is when the government benefits some companies or some industries uh, against their competitors. So they kind of give a special treatment uh, to folks and they protect them with the law. And so... Bastiat in France was fighting this like crazy because they they had all these types of laws that were benefiting uh, different people, and uh, and so uh, a lot of the times uh, what happened like uh, well I won't get into it because there's other people I want to share but but Frederick Bastiat <laughs> he was he was such a witty writer he was sarcastic oh
0: I he, one I think that's why we all probably got into him he's just just so witty he's so good it's, to read.
1: Yeah, he's so, he's so witty. He has these like barbed one-liners where he kind of just, oh, zing. You know, he'll like get the, the opposition and call so out. call them miserable,
0: miserable creatures at one yeah. point, which is one, yeah. one of the best lines.
1: <laughs> and, and so, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to read. Your, it's such valuable deep reading, but it's also just really fun. And what I appreciate about him, why I would want to meet him, is um I guess I'm I'm answering this in like could these people time travel to today rather than me time traveling back to them
0: yeah I think that's you what know? we said too yeah okay. yeah
1: okay so it's like uh, what would bastiat say about today and how how great would it be to have a communicator like that who can just like call everybody out but but do it like, again, super persuasively and where it's just it's fun to read. And it's not just, oh, you are technically correct uh, because you're arguing from an economic principle that is valid. Like it's not just boring. <laughs> boring. You know. yeah, it, it's fun to read. You're, you're kind of like uh, watching a, a fight, you know, between two people and you're kind of egging them on. Yeah, go Yeah, You're getting the socialist. So I would love to just see what he would say about uh, the world today, which still is full of protectionism and all kinds of other problems. He died fairly young um, and uh, he had, was it tuberculosis or something? He, he got sick. He was, he was often very sick. Um, and so... Uh, but he formed, you know, like these societies and he would write with people and he would he was trying to like build things, you know, and and persuade people. Unfortunately, much of what he wrote about fell on deaf ears. You know, hardly anyone listened to him. Uh, but his words have have lasted and, and have impacted like you and me and countless other people. So it's it's awesome to see the legacy that he has uh because of his writing, which kids, you know, there's a lesson for me. Uh I mean, I've written I don't know, 41 books. I think books are such No, a,
0: no big deal, guys. Just 41
1: books. Yeah, well, I was trying <laughs> to remember because it's, it's soon to be 42. I was trying to, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I was trying to remember the number. But the point is whether it's one or 41, it doesn't matter. The point is that uh, I think writing is like, you're a writer too, Brittany, and you have all these columns and all these articles. Mm-hmm. That you've done. I think writing is such a good way to preserve Uh, your knowledge like I'm not the best at writing in journals and things and and keeping uh, you know so my posterity probably won't have a lot of of stuff from Connor's journals but they are going to have access to my writings and my thoughts and they can kind of see what I was fighting for and standing up against and so I like Bastiat for that reason that he wrote a lot and preserved a lot of these great ideas and these these kind of barbed one-liners that's fun to read so so that he's number one uh, that comes to mind. Another one is uh, Thomas Jefferson. So he, I, I see him and Frederick Bastiat as like best buds that didn't even know one another. Like they, <laughs> it, in my mind, they, they, they thought alike. They, uh, they, you know, behaved similarly and, and just. And
0: Jefferson uh, did spend a lot of time in France.
1: In France. Right. So I, I see them as kind of, and uh, who knows, maybe the, I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, Bastiat came, uh, came. Came later, so he After. would have been Yeah, yeah. When Jefferson was there, so uh, but Jefferson, like, like I, I shudder to think what the Declaration of Independence would have been like if Jefferson wasn't there, because it was a committee and there were other people, but like he contributed so much, and he was such a clear thinker. One of my favorite Thomas Jefferson stories is, um, you know, at the beginning of of the country, uh, and maybe we've talked about this before when we were talking about constitutional amendments, but. Uh, early on, the president would be the top vote getter, and the vice president would be the second.
0: I don't, um, and I don't hate that. To be honest with you, I don't hate yeah, it. <laughs> it's kind of
1: interesting. And so what happened was these would be people from different political parties. the The president would be the one from the winning political party, and the vice president would be the the his next best best opponent. And now they have to work together, and so it was kind of dysfunctional. But which you know, for government, that's a good thing, right? And uh, and so John Adams was the president. And Thomas Jefferson was the vice president, and they were on opposite sides of the political aisle. Um, the, uh, John Adams was kind of the leader of the Federalist Party. So Congress was dominated by the Federalists, and then John Adams, a Federalist, was the president. Meanwhile, Thomas Jefferson was kind of the figurehead of the uh, Democratic-Republican Party, and uh, and then a bunch of other people in Congress were members of his party and they were kind of the limited government, uh, kind of libertarian type people. And the the Federalists were just the kind of bigger government, what today we would probably call conservatives. And so uh, the short version of this story is that. Um, Thomas Jefferson, because he disagreed with what the government was doing, he starts working to undermine the president, even though he's the vice president. And he was working with James Madison and he passed the Kentucky or he helped the Kentucky and Virginia pass these resolutions telling the federal government we're not complying with this. So this is called nullification, which we've talked about before. And so Jefferson behind the scenes is helping these states fight. The federalists and fight Congress and fight the president. And so one of the laws that we've talked, I think, before about the Alien and Sedition Acts, this horrible thing that the federalists passed when John Adams was the president, and the Sedition Act said that it made it a crime to criticize the president or to criticize Congress, even though most of these, a lot of these guys were involved in passing the First Amendment, which said Congress shall make no law a <laughs> of free speech. And here they are saying it's sedition if you criticize pres- the president or Congress. Notably, they left out of that list the vice president. So it's just a crime if you criticize a Federalist, right, who happens to be in these offices. Anyway, it's a fun story. And so I, I just love Jefferson. He's this squirrely guy that's just. Behind the scenes trying to fight for freedom using whatever tools he can uh, pushing against these big government uh, folks and uh, I, I think I would just get along swimmingly with a guy like that I, I would just love to like learn from him and talk to him and you know see what he would say like he would be today's Ron Paul you know like he's mm-hmm. the, the closest thing we have um, okay let me Let me do at least one more. Maybe I can get in a fourth one too. So another person I would love to talk to is his name is Helmut Hubner, And uh, he was the youngest person to be sentenced to death by the Nazis. He was a teenager. He was a young little Mormon boy in Germany. And, uh, in Germany at the time they had these, you know, all these oppressive laws. And one of them was you couldn't listen to foreign radio because they wanted to just propagandize Germans with their, their local news. And Helmut had access, I think it was his brother or his uncle or someone, but they had this old radio. So he would listen to the BBC uh, the British uh, radio because the British were trying to like send their radio waves all over Germany. Right. So that Germans could listen to, uh, you know, to people who weren't crazy. And so Helmut would listen to this, and then he would write pamphlets, what he was learning. He would write, you know, about what was going on, and he would start to publicize these pamphlets. He got a typewriter. He started typing all this up. He would put it on bulletin boards with his buddies. he put it in people's pockets, just really trying to spread the word, fighting uh, the Germans. This kid was like 15 when he was doing this. And if you read his, you can find online his pamphlets, uh, his little essays of what he wrote. It sounds like a, 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 a master's level, you know, 27 year old with a high education. Like it's, it's really well-written stuff. And, and it's just this 15 year old kid who's taken on the Nazis. It's just mind boggling. And so well, it's
0: like the, the white rose kids.
1: Very much. Sophie very Scholl, yeah, absolutely. Sophie Scholl and the white rose that uh, they would be on the list for sure. So, so Helmut uh, was caught. Uh, so were his two buddies that helped him. As the ringleader, Helmet was sentenced to death. Uh, the two associates, his buddies, were sentenced to like you know hard labor in a prison camp type thing, and then they were later released and lived to old age. Uh, but Helmet was sentenced to die. And even like you know they were asked any last words, and and he says something, I'm just quoting off the top of my head, but he says something like, uh, "Now it's my turn, but you're up next." Like like he just had this like ballsy kind of like throw it in their face last words where he's like, you're going to, you're going to get retribution for what you're doing here. And, and this won't end well for you. He's just such a brave soul. And so few people act uh, like that. Um, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, I I just feel like it would be so fascinating to understand uh, how he thought and, and why he acted the way he did, because everyone else was just cowering in silence, you know, and they were putting their heads down and they were just going along with it. So I would love to, to learn from someone like that and just uh, hear him share stories, and uh, it'd be fascinating. Um, okay, let me let me sneak a final one in. Um, I want to talk about William Wilberforce. Um, I I think this guy is fascinating. He he, uh, he was in Parliament in in Britain, and uh, this uh, he was he basically had a lifelong crusade against slavery. And he was trying to get the British Parliament to change the law and outlaw slavery. And he had this very incremental approach because everyone was—the whole British Empire, right—was built on the backs of slaves, and so it was uh, they they depended on it economically, and and their social structures were all you know involving slaves. So he had a huge uphill battle, huge huge fight, and it took him you know decades. There's a there's a movie, you know, that's based on his life. Uh, there's books and everything, and I've read them all and watched them all, and they're all so motivating and fascinating because this guy was tireless, and everyone opposed him, and he was, you know, out in the wilderness just you know, shouting into the wind and trying to, trying to convince people that slavery is wrong and we got to move away and and just finding ways to chip away against it. It's like, okay, you know, okay, fine, we're not going to go after slavery and. In you know Britain, but let's go after it in some of the outlying territories, or let's not let's not outlaw slavery right now. Let's just say that you can't import any new slaves, and just finding these small ways to gain victories to stop slavery and 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 just chip away at it. And so he was tenacious, he was persistent, um, he was passionate, and and just you you gotta admire someone who against all odds. Is plowing forward like that takes just sheer will and grit and and I don't know maybe something's wrong with people like that in the head where they can just you know ignore all the pain and all the, the they have thick skin right because everyone's yelling at them and telling them to stop and you know don't bother you'll never succeed and to be able to just plow forward towards a goal um, I think is so admirable. And so uh, again, kind of like Helmut Huber, I would just love to sit at the at the feet of a person like this and hear their stories and understand what they were up against in their own words and be inspired. Because any any I'm reading his story, I'm watching the the movie that kind of uh, depicts his life. I come away like you know, it's like when I watch The Patriot or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay,
0: <laughs> let's go fight.
1: You know, let's 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 persevere. And and it's just a, a, amazing to uh, to see people like that. So, uh, Brittany, any, any, la- like I've just kind of rambled. These are four that come to mind. There's obviously many more, but any quick reaction to any of that? I'd, I'd love.
0: No, to- I gotta say, I, I think I kind of guessed some <laughs> of them at least not in that order, but so I have, I have you pegged Connor, but no, this is always really interesting to me. I think it's fun, fun topic.
1: I think it is fun, too. And, and really what I'm kind of taking away from this is it's one thing to like, OK, Bostia, Jefferson, Helmut Heubiner, William Wilberforce. To me, my, my takeaway that I want to think about is like the importance of history. Why, why do we want to learn from these historical figures? Why do we want to learn about them? And one of the reasons why we've done our new history books with the Tuttle Twins is because there's so many lessons from the past. And, and good lessons, also bad lessons, right, of, of mistakes and failures and problems.
0: Which sometimes are just as important, if not more, than the good lessons. From.
1: That's right. And so our history books, if, if your family has not yet read them, I highly encourage you to go get these books. We've got two volumes out now. And the whole point is let's learn from history so that we can stop repeating all the mistakes, so that we can learn from the wisdom of people in the past and build, you know, a better future. And so uh, if you're curious to get the books, tuttletwins.com slash history is where you can check those out. For now, Brittany, it's been great chatting with you as always. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.
0: Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out tuttletwins.com
1: for more awesome content.